everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feeling. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. (laughs) Okay, welcome to another episode of A Gut Feeling. Today is a first for us. So we are doing a heated debate. So it's not going to be that heated. So we are talking about coffee. (laughs) which is Dave's laughing because it's, it's not going to be heated. But we are going to present different opinions here, different sides a little <laughs> I bit. Think, so. I don't think we've ever had, had a heated debate. Yet, so <laughs> we've had, I think it? we've had plenty of debates, you know, but I, I don't know if they've ever been actually like heated. There's always a first. and We're recording the first for you all to uh, play along and listen. So we are talking about coffee and we are talking about some of the health benefits and maybe uh, concerns or potentially health downsides. So, for full transparency, Dave, you're not strictly against coffee, are you? No. I Like, I don't want to – I just want to make it clear. Like, obviously, you know, we thought it would just be cool to have, like, a debate. And I'm going to probably, you know, pose, you know, maybe some of the negative things that sort of get uh, uh, brought up around, like, you know, coffee and caffeine and all that type of stuff. But, like, I, I probably sit more neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we've talked about this before. Like, I, I just – you know, for me, when it comes to coffee, caffeine, I just I sit more in the realms of like it depends. It can depend on, you know, maybe some aspects around the quality of the coffee. Oh, obviously, we're going to cover these things. Don't, don't okay? play so your hand now. You I should probably sit more. Keep it up your sleeve. Well, I don't want. I, I just yeah. I, I don't want. I don't want coffee hate. That's yeah. what, I guess that's the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know a lot of people love coffee, uh, and I'll make it clear. I drink coffee. Probably don't drink it every day. Have it now and then. And do my clients drink coffee? Yes, not all of them, but obviously a lot of them do. So, I'm so not, while I'm, you are I'm neutral, not coffee don't get, don't get. Yeah, so while you're neutral, I do think there's a bit of a public perception of you that you're a little bit anti it, and I think it's maybe because you have limits, right? Is that driven think, by you, mate? No, <laughs> it's a smear campaign driven by me. Okay, you got me. <laughs> but I think when it comes to coffee, or when it comes to a lot of foods, I think a lot of the time people would perceive that, and if someone's not saying go nuts, have as much as you want. If someone's saying in moderation, I think they end up being perceived as almost being against it. So I think people yeah. look at you and because I've heard this from a lot of people, they're messaging me being like, oh, but Dave's against it. And I'm like, but is he? Like, I haven't heard that. But I think because you're saying, hey, we need to limit it maybe, maybe there's concerns. I think that's why people see you as being a bit more against it. You have made it clear you're neutral. You drink it sometimes, but you do have more concerns potentially than I do. And I am an advocate for coffee and I post lots of stuff about coffee and I drink coffee almost every day. And so I'm going to be taking the affirmative Mm. and talking about why I think it has potential health benefits. Now, the way we're going to do this is we're going to kind of work through the the body a little bit. So we're going to talk about because it's such like it's such a wide reaching thing, coffee. Yeah, like it affects your gastrointestinal tract, it affects neurological systems, it affects organ systems, liver. So we're kind of going to, and even you know we even need to think about the individual from like a genetic standpoint. So we're going to work through different systems a little bit. Um, maybe we'll start with some of the exciting stuff. I think the gut is pretty exciting when it comes to coffee. So how about we start there? Then maybe we'll move into like neurological symptoms and, and sort of concerns and stuff like that. So maybe maybe I'll chuck out some of the positives 
and then you can respond and then you yep. can you can see my positives and you can raise me a negative. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> let's see let's see how we go. Because I, like that, like I, I want to make it clear, okay, like I might actually you know, it might seem like I'm jumping ship sometimes, yeah, because like <laughs> I'm going to probably, you know, I'm probably going to agree with obviously like a, a lot of the points that you bring up because there is actually some pretty good research around the benefits of like uh, coffee around, you know, um, the gastrointestinal lining and all that type of stuff. So I, I like, you know, but I might just post some things that, that, that maybe some people just like need to consider. Yeah. Okay. So for starters, I like uh, the, the beauty with coffee is we've got a lot of studies on it. And I'm probably, uh, while I think mechanism is really important, we will touch on mechanism. I think that a lot of the time, well, firstly, there's a big misunderstanding around some of the mechanisms. So people make claims that aren't actually supported mechanistically. But beyond that, I think it's helpful to actually be able to look at literature where there's been thousands of people over years, you know, meta-analyses, systematic reviews, and we can actually see, well, we've got these, these suspected mechanisms, but how much does that actually play out at a population level? And so we've got a lot of really good, robust, like large-scale analyses, systematic reviews on things like gastrointestinal, um, not symptoms isn't the right word, but effects, I guess, from coffee. So I'm just going to quickly start because IBS always gets thrown out there. And while some old studies did suggest that coffee maybe could be a trigger for some people with IBS, the most recent meta-analysis we have actually shows an inverse relationship with IBS and with coffee consumption. So, and obviously that's not mechanistic, but we're simply talking because a lot of the time people say, well, I've got IBS, therefore I can't possibly touch coffee. And in fact, if we're just simply talking from a, a, a studies perspective, just as a broad starting point, what we're seeing is actually technically speaking, IBS seems to have an inverse relationship. So that's kind of cool. But if you dig a bit deeper and you ask, well, why might that be? We see that coffee does things like it increases good levels of bacteria. So it increases stuff like bifidobacterium, okay? Beneficial. We see that it reduces reactive oxygen. Sorry to interrupt you, mate. Um, but like, you know, from my understanding with like the, uh, you're more of the coffee expert or you're the coffee connoisseur. But wasn't like the, the like, like obviously a lot of things I'm, you know, I'm agreeing with you. Like actually with the, the bifidobacterium strains, because I actually know about the research that you were talking about where they did like, once again, I'm not an expert in how to prepare coffee and all that type of stuff, but wasn't it to do with they, they cook, they, they, there's like a water extraction of like green roasted coffee beans. Uh, and that was shown to increase like metabolic activity. And that's through that process that was actually shown to increase the numbers of like bifidobacterium strains? That is, yeah, that was one of the studies. Um, but there's also studies in, I believe there's other studies beyond just that one you're talking about. So there's, there is definitely studies in mice where they've also found a change in bifidobacterium. And I believe that that was like more sort of normal coffee preparation. Um, but yeah, certainly yep. in, in the study you're referring to, that's how they did that. There's also beyond so that- obviously though, for people who don't know, like you know, what are going to be the benefits around that? Or bifidobacterium, you actually need that for GABA, so gamma aminobutyric acid, like bifidobacterium, you know, there's, there's a relationship there with progesterone. You're getting all these benefits, okay, just to make it clear. Bifidobacterium is really good for like IgE complications, like allergens and- yeah, yeah. That, that, once again, that sounds like I'm jumping ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are neutral. 
So uh, in addition to that study, though, there was a study looking at, it was just recall. So they were looking at, hey, did you drink coffee? Do you think you did? Yes, you did. And they put people into like coffee consume or like non-coffee consumers, moderate, uh, and then like high consumers. I don't know how they categorize moderate and high, but often they say high is like four cups a day and, and moderate might be like one or two or whatever. Um, and they found well, isn't, that- isn't there, isn't there that like that old, is like, you know, where they did like, you know, four cups of coffee a day. Okay. I, I think it was like Spanish research or something like that. I, I think it's pretty old where they said that it could reduce the risk of, de- you know, death by about 64%. Or yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely, there's newer studies as well, actually on, I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but there was a, a, a meta <laughs> a review, what are the, an umbrella review. And it was only a couple of years ago, maybe it was 2020 or something like that. And they did find that coffee, increased coffee consumption was associated with a decreased level of all-cause mortality. And it was pretty significant. It was something like 20% less. Uh, and that included cardiovascular mortality. Um, it included cancer mortality. Um, there was, I forget what other types of death they were looking at, but across the board, it was about 20% uh, less risk from coffee consumption. And again, that's recall. You know, they're talking about anyone having like one cup or more a day, I think it was. Um, I think maybe they did track like higher coffee consumption, I forget exactly. But a lot of these studies where they are tracking the amount of consumption, they tend to find, it's not linear, but they tend to find that two cups is often better than one and four cups is often better than two. And often there's like a plateauing after like four cups, but a lot of these studies do find four, sometimes up to six cups have the best health outcomes. I think there was one study that showed the lowest odds of having uh, gallstones was in people having six cups of coffee a day. And four cups was okay, and two was okay, but it was it was almost linear. In the more coffee you had, the lower the chance of gallstones. Well, I mean, it's not like obviously, once again, it sounds like we're on the same team. Yeah, okay, but <laughs> I don't, I don't dispute. You know, so like some some of the things that you actually do find in like you know like coffee, uh, you know, there's a thing called diterpenes. Um, so for people who don't know, you, you get these things called terpenes, um, and terpenes like you know. So for example, like oh, I think I've spoken about in the past, there's a thing called uh, beta carophyllenes and you find them in like terpenes and they can your beta carophyllenes can have even you know some benefits around cancer and all that type mm, of stuff mm. but if you actually look at like so coffee does have diterpenes and diterpenes i mean obviously you've mentioned it it can actually prevent aspects around like blocking the, the activation of things like carcinogens and even like improving like aspects around like liver detoxification function and all that type of stuff so there's different types of diterpenes and actually one of the ones so there's a few that you actually find in coffee and actually one of the ones is uh, a thing called uh cafestrol. that's what most likely you're referring to uh is actually that's the one that actually enhances the, the production of bile acids um and so there would obviously i mean you would say there's obviously going to be you know some other benefits around like maybe some antimicrobial benefits and, you know, emulsification of fats and all that type of stuff and absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. So, I mean, like, once again, I'm not going to dispute that. So these types of compounds that you're finding in the coffee, um, there's obviously good literature around these. Mm. Um, So sorry to interrupt you, but obviously I'm sounding like I'm supporting it again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and even, like, to go back to the gut, so, yes, obviously, you know, you've mentioned bifidobacterium, but... They also found uh, lower levels of intestinal inflammation. They found reduced um, oxidative stress in the gastrointestinal tract. They found other microbiome shifts, and a lot of this is just in recall. So it's 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 not you know it's not animal studies or it's not based on 
you know, people consuming X amount of coffees for X amount of time. It's it's literally just saying, hey, you know, do you drink coffee? Yes, you do. We're going to put you in this in in this sort of category, and then they've well, even tested their microbiome. Sorry to interrupt again, but you could even I'm bringing up all these benefits. You could say like you know, pro motility. Well, like, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's one of the mechanisms they say why yeah. it probably helps with the IBS. Yeah. It's, 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 it's largely large intestinal motility. Well, even they said, because obviously the one thing, I, once again, I'd say that I'm a, I'm a big advocate of with the, like the coffee bean is a lot of antioxidants. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these antioxidants, uh, I mean, they, they definitely have benefits around like, you know, anti-inflammatory. And I think they talk about like an anti-proliferative effects uh, on the mucosa with the gut lining as well. So um and even like if you look at like the because obviously coffee is is high in like polyphenols and all that type of stuff so you could even say there's there's benefits these polyphenols have benefits to uh the brain as well um like even like new stem cells in the brain and all that type of stuff and what does uh coffee also have i think i've spoken about this before like a long time ago i think it's got like hydrocinonet synonymic acid i think it's synonymic acid and that's like you know neutralization like aspects around free radicals i'm not saying it's a free radical scavenger or anything like that but benefits around that so i i can definitely see like you know like a lot of these compounds like i, I think you probably know better than me but wasn't it like i don't know the full ins and outs of actually how this actually um actually you know the actual compounds within the coffee beans that actually helped around this but wasn't there documentation of like people actually drinking coffee and they they recovered quicker from things like abdominal surgery and uh, that was a while ago that I, I read that research where but it so whether it's actually um, helping with aspects around the recovery of the gut or whether it's uh, just actually helping with recovery in general I would imagine it's more to do with the actual gut lining itself but there's probably like more evidence of like the, the benefits for the actual gut lining uh, I'm definitely not going to uh, dispute that there's a, a, a decent amount of like epidemiological like studies and all that mm. stuff around that so beyond so there's a shift in microbiome we're saying that that's positive we're saying there's a, a mm -hmm. an increase in motility it does affect smooth muscle and so that's partly why it's affecting motility although they say that there's compounds in the coffee as well as the caffeine which is affecting that i don't think there's much of a motility effect on the stomach but what we do see is an increase in secretion of gastric juices and we also see an increase in CCK. So that then stimulates other gastric, uh, well, other, um, you know, digestive enzymes. So so could you potentially say, sorry to interrupt again, okay, but could you say, potentially say that like, let, let's say for some, something like a motility issue, you know, a gastric change issue, like something like SIBO, that maybe potentially coffee with some of the compounds that it's got in it, like might have some more benefits around, like if it's like there's more methane gas and there's some issues around that. Because of the okay, motility. Yeah, because of the motility. Once again, I don't know. I haven't like looked at all the literature around this. But if someone's a little more like, let's say, hydrogen ions, not so. I'm not saying hydrogen sulfide, but more hydrogen ions, could that maybe probably not be the the best choice in terms of? Well, I'm not saying have no coffee, uh, but maybe if they're going like too high in the coffee, could that have some negative around that? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, like, I have. I haven't looked at the literature around that, so I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just something to take into consideration. The only thing I'm familiar with to do with that is when they've looked at IBS studies and they have differentiated between IBS-C and IBS-D. And again, mm -hmm. as of the most recent studies I've seen on that, my understanding is that both IBS-C and IBS-D 
had lower association, like the higher coffee consumption or, or one cup a day would have had lower odds of IBS in, in both categories. Um, I don't recall there being a significant difference with IBS-C IBS and IBSD. Um, so obviously mm-hmm. we're seeing IBS-C is more likely going to be, you know, higher methane. So, it's, you know, methane yeah. SIBO potentially. Um, but you know, it would make sense. Like, and that's the thing, like, I, I totally agree that sometimes we look at the literature and sometimes I'm a little bit surprised and I think, I don't know that that's exactly what I see. So I just mentioned the gastric juices, right? So I traditionally, I assumed, you know what, if someone's got stomach issues, coffee's probably not going to be the best thing. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that in a lot of Mm. clients. And then I started looking into literature on it. And in fact, there's you know there's one meta-analysis that found that it, it did exacerbate some stomach symptoms and GERD and acid reflux. But then there was a couple of European studies that found that it actually made it better. I think there was a, a Taiwanese or there was another study that, that did find that it was better. And then there was another meta-analysis or 11 studies that found that it was neutral. And so if we take the literature as a whole, it's like it's either neutral or there's a few things actually saying it was better. And I think that so I was a little bit surprised by that because I thought it was more going to be negative, but it doesn't, it's not that shocking, is it? Because if someone's got just low stomach acid, you know, it's, it's the pH is off in the stomach, but there's not a lot of inflammation. This, you know, they don't have gastritis or something like that. Then it makes sense that coffee might help that. You know, we use apple cider vinegar for the same purpose, just have something acidic and see that helps digestion. So it makes sense coffee's mm-hmm. going to do the same thing. But if someone's got an inflamed stomach and they've got gastritis, you know, if, if they take vinegar, they're going to feel worse. If they have chilies, they're going to feel worse. If they have coffee, they're going to feel worse. It makes sense. So I think in that instance, mm. it's not that it's it's not causing issues. And, and even if you look at like esophageal, you know, cancers and stuff like that, there's no negative association really with coffee. So it's more, you know, if someone is in a bad state, obviously there can be foods that can be triggers. But that doesn't mean the coffee got you to that mm. point. The coffee's not the culprit. You know, like it's, I don't have a good example here. Good. Um, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, someone's got a SIBO and it's like, well, you, you know, you're doing bad with a banana. Does that mean the banana is bad? No, like the SIBO is causing issues. And at this point, yeah, yeah. the banana is the best food for you. So yeah, as a whole stomach, great. CCK, so we mentioned that. So that's going to help stimulate bile and pancreatic enzymes. Um and but that's partly why we see such a huge positive impact in things like gallstones because it's helping with the gallbladder contraction. It's also helping with um, with cholesterol. It's, it's and as it's, I said, like these, there there is there is information around that, around these diterpenes and the yeah the, the like like helping around like you know bile acids. So like one hundred percent agree with and that. it's even preventing the crystallization of the cholesterol and, and preventing the gallstones so you're trying to to rush up rush on the uh the positives of coffee playing your sly little <laughs> nah um <laughs> yeah i think that's that's most of the benefits yeah well like obviously yeah i mean there's there's like obviously i agree there's 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 obviously a lot of benefits there and i've looked at a lot of the literature and there's 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 really good research on it so let's where do I think there could be an issue around the gut here? Um, but I want to make it clear, this doesn't necessarily have to be a major problem. It could be an issue. It doesn't necessarily have to be a major issue, but it, like, it's just something that we need to take into consideration. And the whole thing with like, you know, coffee is a highly sprayed crop. 
So it is highly sprayed with like, you know, uh, pesticides and herbicides. Um, the things like glyphosate. And, yeah, glyphosate. So it, it, it does have a reasonably bad track record around that. You can obviously fix that by the quality and where you're sourcing it from and all that type of stuff. There is uh, a bit of a conversation around mycotoxins. Now, I've been going pretty crazy around like mycotoxins for a while. Um, the one I, I do find, it, I, I want to say that I do agree there can be a bit of a grey around coffee. I want to make that clear. So I'm not saying it's clear cut, um, but I did look at like there was some research. Uh, it was uh, I, I think they actually did in Tunisia. I don't know how renowned Tunisia is for like coffee. <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, but they did it on uh, Arabica. Uh, like coffee, you know, I think that's a pretty popular, you know, form of coffee, like, you know, worldwide. Um, but they did testing around mycotoxins. Um, so once again, this was like Tunisia research. I can't remember the year they actually did this. Um, and they, they found that there was actually up to about 17 different mycotoxins found within the coffee. Now, actually, like eleven, there was actually eleven mycotoxins uh, within within the coffee that exceeded what's called MRL. So MRL, for people who don't know, that's like maximum regulatory limit. Um, and so they did, found did you say you know when this was uh, when this study was done? I can't remember the year. I just know it was done in Tunisia. Don't know if it was a while ago. I know I know they've done like you can find researchers back. Uh, back as far as like 1995. That's quite a while ago. I'm not saying that the Tunisia research was like 1995, but they're sort of like, you know, they've talked about the, the exposure, things like ocrotoxins. I might cover that a little bit more. Okay, that's the one that I, I would say is a bit like, there's a bit of like, oh, okay, is ocrotoxins a bit of an issue with coffee? Um, you know, I, I think there's a... I can't remember the name. There's, a, there's another toxin that could be a little bit higher in, in coffee as well. I think it's called uh, Altenaria or something like that, Altenaria toxin. Uh, they did talk about a thing called Xerolinone as well. I've done a fair bit of research around that. But ochratoxin is the one that I, I, I think can be, you know, maybe a bit of an issue around uh, like coffee. But also the one thing I will make clear is that off like like obviously coffee goes through like a, you know there's a roasting process and the heating process so how much does that actually deal with a lot of the mycotoxins i i i'm not saying i directly know all the answers to that i i, I don't know the answer to that specifically but what i do know is i have seen studies where they assessed mycotoxins and they did find that about 50 percent of commercial coffee had mycotoxins in it so i agree obviously that can be a concern but there's a difference between what I'm going to say is is bad quality, just normal supermarket bought coffee and good coffee. And so if we're talking good coffee, so say specialty coffee, which is obviously very common over here in Australia, I guess in some countries You're not as common. about single origins and all Not necessarily, like, like, I mean, blends as well, but just, yeah. you know, yeah. it, to be classed as specialty coffee, it's, it's, it's assessed against something called a Q-score. And that Q score, that covers a whole lot of different characteristics, one of which including assessing for mold. Yeah. So yeah. we're pretty safe. If you're if you're purchasing specialty coffee, it's been assessed for mold anyway. So that's yeah. a fairly safe choice. And obviously, like, you know, I'm bringing it up saying that obviously if you're buying poor quality coffee, there's potentially going to be some issues around that. Because if you look at something like Xerolinone, which I've done a lot of, a bit of research around that, which obviously you can get from other things, um, that will actually raise like liver enzymes. Okay, so that will raise things like ALT, AST, um, ochratoxins, which that is the one that I th think can be a bit of a 
bit of an issue around like uh, coffee. Um, they actually had this research where they, I think they treated ducks. Yeah, I know, well, not ducks. Yeah, I don't know this animal studies again, but they treated ducks with like ocrotoxins. And that had like uh, a massive impact, or, like even on like uh, the abundance of like lipopolysaccharide producing like bacteroids. It created more issues around that. So induce the accumulation of like LPS and inflammation in the liver. Okay, that's like pretty bad. Uh, and even like, and this is what you could say, like, well, the coffee, you're getting the benefit from, uh, you know, obviously things like bifidobacterium, but ocrotoxins actually reduce the levels of things like lactobacillus reuteri, bifidobacterium will reduce the levels of that. And also it can potentially promote the growth of like pathogenic bacteria like Staphylococcus and uh, I think it's like Escherichia coli, E. coli, um, Shigatoxin, Listeria. But can you deal with the, with the problem around the mycotoxins? Yes. Like you've obviously talked about the quality um, and you could also focus on just like mycotoxin-free coffee. Yeah, you can certainly purchase that additionally. Yeah. And then even with the pesticide and glyphosate, obviously you can get organic. Now I acknowledge that organic is not a you know, not not that much coffee is organic. It's easy enough to find. However, I think they say less than 1% of, of global coffee or less than 1% of specialty coffee is technically organic. So it is a little bit more difficult to get, but you can still get it. Um, and, you, you know, a fair bit of coffee comes from El Salvador and El Salvador don't use uh, a lot of a lot of pesticides. They don't use glyphosate, for example. So even if it's not organic, it, it may not necessarily be an issue. You mentioned the liver enzymes as well. That's an interesting point because there's a lot of studies that have shown, I don't know if you've seen these, but um, a, a really strong effect of coffee consumption on reducing liver enzymes. And mm. uh, most lit- literature I've seen suggests that actually it's it's a chronic effect, that it's mostly seen in people who've been regular um, consumers of coffee for for years, like more than five years, they see this, this decrease in liver enzymes. There was one paper, it was called... Um, Again, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but actually, I think I might even. It was like, uh, it was something like, is is coffee the? Uh, I'm gonna find it. You you bring up your. Here we go. Actually, I've got a coffee. Coffee, the magical bean for liver disease. Mm. Like I think that says it all. Like if you look at basically all liver issues, coffee's been shown to be beneficial. For even things like hepatitis C, it's beneficial. Um, so you know, from a liver perspective, and well, remember, it's going to come down to what I what I want to spoke about. It's going to come down to those uh, diterpenes. Yeah. That's actually what's been found to improve like liver function, you know, liver detoxification function. So an example of like a, a diterpene, as I said, is something like cafestrol, which you actually uh, you obviously get in the coffee coffee bean. That's obviously the one that helps with the bile acids as well. Okay, so that's actually where you're getting. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within the coffee beans that are helping around that but i do know that it's one um so these diterpenes definitely do help with uh improving like liver detoxification function for sure yeah so mold could be a concern pesticides could be a concern but if you're like if you're wanting to overcome that it's a pretty easy thing to overcome mm. do you have anything else on the mycotoxins you want to mention or can because I, I i thought maybe if we talk about genetic variants but maybe just before we jump into genes I just quickly, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to myth bust a couple of things that you'll probably agree with, and then we can move on to genes. Because people yeah. might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but what about cortisol? What about glucose? It, it stuffs your hormones and stuffs your blood sugar. We're probably not going to talk much about that because in all honesty, that's not what the research says. So just quickly, yeah. if we look at cortisol, it shows that if someone starts drinking coffee, there's a bit of an increase in cortisol, but mm. that stops after a few days of consumption. So if someone is a regular coffee consumer, you have your morning coffee every day, 
it, it actually has, according to the research we've got, no effect on cortisol. And that's actually in, in multiple coffees. And then same with glucose. They did studies where they looked, they gave people four cups of coffee a day for 90, 90 days. No, more than that. For, I think it was for six months, four cups a day. And they tested glucose and insulin. And there was no change in fasting glucose, no change in fasting mm. insulin. The only study I've really seen that suggested otherwise showed that there was a short-term effect on glucose, but long-term there was a favorable effect and actually lowered mm. things like HbA1c. So the glucose thing, I just think is a it's a non-issue. The the cortisol thing. I mean, obviously, like, could that potentially be an issue, a bit of a different issue for someone who does carry, like, you know, the CYP one A two genotype variant, obviously. I think there is some so where that could potentially like impair things like, you know, fasting glucose to a certain extent. I mean, like how many people obviously have that, you know, uh, genotype variant? Like, I mean, I know people sort of talk about 50%. I, I don't know if it's as high as 50%, but uh, I'm not saying that applies to everyone. So is that where it could potentially like impair on, you know, something like fasting glucose, like maybe? Possibly, uh, possibly. Even the cortisol though, like there was actually one study, I love this, one study found, that it had in people in people who were habitual coffee drinkers, it lowered their cortisol when they had the coffee. Mm. And you see that and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Cause it's like, you know, it's relaxing. It's like, this is my my ritual. This is my morning ritual. I get up, I make my coffee, I sit down, I drink my coffee. It's like, of course it did that. So the whole like it's gonna blow up your adrenals, it's like, well, is it? Like it's gonna screw mm. with your blood sugar. Is it? Like you said, maybe in some genetic cases, but we're not seeing that on on, you know, broad spectrum kind of thing in studies so those things well, i think are just not even yeah not even yeah, like 100 i agree on that well i think we've spoken about that and you know uh even just quite recently what would you say uh, you know maybe about some of the aspects of like obviously the catecholamines and, and maybe like some aspects around like you know dopamine you know like potentially like just increasing like dopamine levels in the brain okay like if someone already did have some you know, significant dopamine issues. Yeah, because we, we spoke about that a little while ago and it, it made me think about it. So, I mean, firstly, from a neurological perspective, we know that, that coffee is beneficial anyway, yeah? Like if we look more broadly, things like Alzheimer's, we know that I think they say uh, two cups a day, I think, or, or one to two cups is associated with like an 11% reduction in in cognitive deficit. So it is really protective actually against things like Alzheimer's. So we know this neurological benefits anyway, yeah? yeah? But specifically, you know, catecholamines, dopamine, I think it's an interesting interesting point. I think what's interesting to look at is people with ADHD. And what mm-hmm. they found when they, when they, there was an animal study I've seen on this, and there was also, um, where, oh, was it a, a case study? It was some, something human. But in the animal study, they found that, that animals with ADHD symptoms, given, it was in caffeine, okay, not coffee, but given caffeine, mm-hmm. it showed that it actually increased their attention increase the their ability to learn, increase the memory, increase their um like like problem solving. And mm-hmm. then there wasn't any negative effect around like blood pressure or any other any other negative symptoms. So that was in animals. And obviously, you know, I know we're not animals, but you know, nonetheless, like it's it's pretty interesting. And then I have seen um even I think it was fairly recent, 2020, um, a paper talking about the the positive neurobehavioral effects of, of coffee. Well, again, again, I think it was actually caffeine. But again, they were talking about the role that caffeine could have in almost being therapeutic for, for ADHD because it's having positive effect on just on various ADHD sort of symptoms. On um, even, I think it was it was affecting 
glutamate could, pathways could, as just, well? Just, just, just on that, like, uh, you know, we're probably going to mention it further down the line anyway. So could, could we say that actually like a solution? Because obviously th- there's no doubting that some people can have an issue around caffeine. That's not me saying that caffeine doesn't have medicinal benefits. I want to make that clear that I don't want any caffeine hate. Uh, but some people can have like an issue around caffeine. Can we say that? Like that, that for sure. But I'm not disputing that you're getting a lot of these like, you know, things like diterpenes. I keep on mentioning them, but there's obviously good research around them. Things like the calphistrol and all that type of stuff. So it could a um, could something that people could apply is maybe going for like a, you know, going through the decaffeination process, like the Swiss press method, where you're still actually getting like, from my understanding, like going through the decaffeination process still leaves a lot of these like diterpenes and all that type of stuff. So you're still getting the benefits from these things. And so you're still getting like even like the, even like the anti-carcinogenic sort of like properties and all that type of stuff. And I would say that you don't respond well to caffeine. I get it. And that definitely does happen with some people. Uh, but there might be some other ways around that of actually like having someone get decaffeinated coffee where you're still getting, I'm not going to say you get all the benefits, but you're still going to get some of these benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I think you'll get some of them, right? I think we clearly yeah. see some of them you won't get. So, yeah. you know, one we, we didn't touch on, I know it's not neurological, but like, for example, the effect on, on brown adipose tissue and the thermic effect. Mm. So there was one study that found like four cups of coffee a day could lead to up to a 4% reduction in body fat. That's you're not going to get that from decaf because yeah, I mean, they like it obviously, like it enhances lipolysis. Okay, so mm. and for people who don't know what I'm talking about, there, okay, we're talking about like you know, triglycerides converting into like free fatty acids, so increases fat oxidation. Okay, and isn't that aspects around like it helps with like they, they I think they call it CAMP, which is like the, the acyclic uh, adenosine uh, uh, mm. monophosphate. Obviously, that's that's probably going to be a bit of an issue around like a decaffeinated coffee. Yeah, okay? yeah. In terms of you're not getting those benefits. But even with the caffeine and, and you know, like dopamine and stuff, so obviously like we know that it, it can cause more dopamine to be released and part of that has to do with like the adenosine receptors as well. But it, it not, and this is what I found interesting when I looked into it more, is not only is it increasing dopamine release, but it actually enhances the receptor sensitivity. So you could actually make an argument that, Someone who had down regulation of dopamine receptors, which is not uncommon, potentially caffeine could even, in the short term, could even enhance the sensitivity. There seemed to be like a drop off effect. So, like, we became people become more like tolerant to it. So, it's probably not having an effect permanently, but you could potentially make an argument someone who had. Um, you know, maybe burn out of the dopamine receptors is not the right term here, but you know, someone who'd really been flooding themselves with dopamine potentially or even you know had had used you know various dopamine agonists and stuff in the past potentially actually using caffeine may have a positive effect in resensitizing mm. so could you potentially say because obviously does something like having a coffee okay the caffeine does it stimulate like you know areas like the anterior pituitary gland i guess the argument that you're saying is that is that always negative um and so for some people could that actually be a bit of a positive mm. you know like based on where they're sitting Maybe there could be a bit of grey there. Okay, most of the time there is. But I guess your point would be, is is that always negative? For some people, yeah. that might be a, a real positive. I have anecdotally seen, not with everyone, but in people who do have a yeast or candida overgrowth, I do tend to see that they're more susceptible to anxiety with coffee. Mm-hmm. 
That's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I I, I, I I would probably say and that's where it could be a bit of a negative um, if someone does have like an exacerbation things like acetaldehyde and ethanol yeah. you know, and where there's already like pretty significant like dopamine issues. Which is interesting because you think based of what I just said that it could actually help. So I don't know what's going on there. From my, you know, once again, I know it's anecdotal, but I, I would agree with you on that, that most of the time these people, they just don't tend to handle coffee that well in that instance. Yeah. And, and maybe it might be more the caffeine, but they don't really tend to handle it that well. I mean, maybe it's to do with the detoxification. Maybe it's not even to do with the dopamine per se. Yeah, I do tend to notice yeah. with those clients when they do deal with the yeast overgrowth, often they don't get the anxiety anymore with the coffee. It's hard to say like what, a hundred percent is would be the issue going yeah. on there. Um, you know, like, I, I know you know probably a lot of people are going to hate this, but I, I would say there's also there's there there can be some grey there. There's there's there's, there's many variables. Uh, I don't know if we if we you know obviously want to you know segue. It's probably a good segue into the you know maybe some of the uh, genotypes and the, the sort of like genetic elements. Yeah, so it can be quite individual based on your genetic makeup. Yeah, I mean you know this can be a factor. You no, know, obviously when it comes to you know, obviously caffeine um, and they're, you know, the one that, you know, I've spoken about in the past, I'm sure you've spoken about, uh, they talk about the CY, uh, CYP-102 genotype variant. Um, and C- just for people who don't understand, like CYP refers to cytochrome P450 enzymes. Okay, So what we're talking about here is like liver enzymes. And so if you've got the variant, they basically say you're like a slow metabolizer of caffeine. You know, I, I have this is where I have seen that you know maybe potentially you might have like impaired like fasting glucose and you know maybe higher risk of thing even things like cardiovascular problems and so forth. But how many people have that genotype variant? I, like I've heard some people say like you know fifty percent. Um, cool. You know, I've said that. I, I just don't know. Like I, I don't know how high that. I haven't is. seen research on it, but I have done I don't know maybe a hundred DNA tests with people, maybe more, and. I I would be surprised if I've seen it more if it comes than, out that often yeah. more than ten percent of the time. Yeah, and there's obviously the other version as well, which makes you even quicker metabolizing coffee or caffeine. Mm. And so because yeah. the CYP like that variant, it, it's it's going to extend the half life up to about eight hours or so. But my understanding of that actually is that you can still desensitize that. And so if you even if you have that variant and you're still consuming chronically consuming coffee, there still seems to be a blunting of that. And it mm. actually becomes less less sort of significant over time anyway. Mm. Once again, I want to make it clear there, there might have been a bit of grey here. I think I mentioned to you that like maybe potentially quercetin might have some benefits around that. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to say that 100. Uh, percent Quercetin does actually have some benefits benefits around like uh, uh, some of the uh, metabolites that you actually get from the from the coffee beans. And so like quercetin could be something that like if you do find that maybe you're not responding that well to it, like including some like quercetin could actually have some some benefits around that. And they do talk about like, you know, quercetin and maybe extending the half-life of the caffeine and all that type of stuff. So, um, but I think, you know, I did come across some documentation where they they, they thought that maybe quercetin might have some benefits around the, the actual CYP1A2 genotype variant. But I just want to make it clear, I'm not saying that's confirmed. Um, but maybe even like consuming some, like having having some quercetin with your coffee might have some benefits around that. Probably not going to hurt. You know, like, like obviously something like, uh, you know, uh, green tea actually has quercetin in it. Maybe that's why you're getting some, some of those uh, benefits from having the actual quercetin within the green tea. Um, some people talk about like, what do you think about some of the other, you know, potential like genotypes and 
where people talk about the, the you know, the uh, N-acetyl tr- uh, transferase to enzyme. Okay, obviously that's to do with like metabolization of like xenobiotics and, you know, uh, slower sort of acetylation that might, might have worsened like, you know, autoimmune diseases and all that type of stuff. Well, once again, I don't know how applicable that is to, you know, many people um, and how much, you know, how how relevant is that to something like coffee? I'm not sure. You know, some people do talk about that. I'm sure you've heard about so that. So that's okay. NAT2 gene. So like NAT2 I, polymorphism, that's what they talk about, yeah. So I do okay. know that it is implicated or associated with things like, uh, I believe they say colon cancer and bladder cancer. Um, and I think Parkinson's, I think, has a pretty high link with it too. But yeah, that's not that's not specifically to do with coffee, right? Like it's mm-hmm. simply to do with how you're metabolizing different different compounds, and that includes medications and uh, yeah, a whole whole stack of different things. So I've not seen like uh, maybe I'm missing something here, but I've not seen anything compelling that's linking the NAT2 gene with coffee or caffeine with negative health outcomes. I've just not seen that. Now, does that mean mm. it's not there? Not necessarily, but I, I would struggle to imagine it's a significant one, especially when, you know, if we've just talked about NAT2 affecting things like Parkinson's disease, but we're seeing that coffee has a whole lot of beneficial effect around most neurological disorders. And I would imagine I'm pretty sure there's stuff around coffee helping with Parkinson's as well. Then I would imagine it's pretty. I mean, the only reason I like once again, like I haven't done enough research around the NAT two with like coffee. So like I know someone, you know, some people bring it up. Um, and then the other one is the HLA genes, okay, which is like human leukocyte antigen. That's to do with like you know CD four count, you know, um, and obviously this is to do with like you know uh aspects around like your lymphocytes your white blood cells and this is where they talk about you know th uh th cells there's like th1 helper cells and th2 helper cells and t regulatory cells is that where they talk about like more you know issues around like the mold and all that type of stuff and Mm. where that might be posing some issues once again like uh how much of an issue that is for people i'm I'm not sure um i just quickly looked up parkinson's there's a whole stack of studies showing an inverse relationship with coffee and parkinson's so it's it's beneficial so like obviously you know people are going to bring up these types of you know genotypes and all that type of stuff and and you know maybe the one that might be more significant to a lot of people might be the you know the cyp 102 genotype variant i mean that's even going to affect melatonin right like it's 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 not just a coffee gene you know we need to understand This just means you're metabolizing things more slowly most of the time. Yes, right? yes, yeah, exactly. So in that instance, what I would normally say to someone is, hey, you know, maybe you you might feel that you sleep worse with coffee, but for you, the half-life might be close to eight to 10 hours. Maybe you need to have it just in the morning. Like, see how you can- And, and maybe, maybe there might be some compounds that you could actually use around that. Once again, like maybe you could use quercetin. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that's 100% like sort of like uh, confirmed, but I, I, I definitely have looked at some literature where they've tried to- definitely use quercetin to actually help with things like the CYP1A2 genotype variant. So mm. we'll, we'll probably say like with the, with the, with the sort of like genotype aspect, you know, like it's, it's a factor, how much of a factor, but for some individuals it might be a factor. Yeah, but it's probably more going to affect, you might say anxiety and sleep is probably going to be the bigger impact there. Like it's not like there's a gene, oh, if you have this gene, coffee's going to kill you. Like, no, probably not. It's probably just going to make you a bit well, anxious. Well, even if we're talking about like, you know, the TH1 helper cells and all that type of stuff, I mean, you can find plenty of documentation around coffee being, you know, can even like induce like a TH1 response. It doesn't always mean it's bad. Like TH1 is like, mm-hmm. you know, pro-inflammatory, TH2, anti-inflammatory. Now, by inducing that TH1 sort of type, you know, response, that might actually help in the prevention of things like uh, allergy response. I think there's some documentation around that. 
you know, I, I think there can be a bit of gray around the, you know, TH1 helper cells and TH2 helper cells, but um, you can definitely find literature that are quite supportive around coffee with that. Um, so there also might be a bit of like murkiness from what I've seen. Yeah. So is there other negatives you had for coffee? Um, I mean, one, which I don't know how much of a negative it is, but I'm just going to like bring it up anyway. Like some people talk about, you know, people having like an intolerance to the proteins in coffee beans. Um, they call, uh, I think it's like the COF slash A slash one, which is like an allergen basically to the green coffee bean. Um, I couldn't tell you how many people this affects. So they're talking about like coffee, uh, sensitization. And I think they did, you know, research around like C Arabica, like the, the coffee beans. I, 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 once again, could that be an issue for some people? Yes. What percentage? I don't know. So I, I, I couldn't give you a percentage around that, but I've obviously heard people talk about that. You know, I've spoken about it in the past. I just don't know how many people that's actually applicable to. Do you think that that would happen? Because I know some of the research, they look mostly at like people who are handling the coffee beans, right? So they're like mm. exposed to it, like skin contact. Do you reckon that that effect is, would still be possible just from orally ingesting it? That, that's that, once again i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure on that. I'm, I'm posing it as like maybe it's an issue mm -hmm. i don't know how many people that actually affects but you know maybe it's just a variable i mean like maybe maybe for a small percentage of people it might be pretty minute and uh, that mm -hmm. might be a factor uh, I, I couldn't imagine being a very high percentage so that would be one and then also like uh, one that that could you know i i, I think more that it's, it's probably more positive than negative it's just some aspects around like uh obviously you've brought up a lot of information talking about the benefits around the brain but obviously you know caffeine um but caffeine is a mimicker and so it does play on adenosine uh so caffeine does appear as adenosine so for people who don't know you know adenosine is a neurotransmitter uh obviously you, you've got like things like you know atp adenosine triphosphate and but adenosine as a neurotransmitter helps to regulate the sleep cycle basically that's what makes you feel sleepy yeah yeah so when obviously when you're awake um then adenosine accumulates in the brain and okay and eventually over time as the day goes on eventually it makes you feel more drowsy um and attaches to cells like they say in the basal sort of like forebrain um so it just basically makes you feel more you know tired uh throughout the day now obviously caffeine plugs the adenosine receptors so that's why we say it's like a mimicker um, is that bad? I'm not saying it's bad. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, so um, it's just binding to these receptors, so it means that the adenosine doesn't. So what's interesting there is, you, let's say you had, let's say you had a hundred adenosine receptors, and you know, twenty of them were bound, and then you had coffee. Like the coffee might bind to some of them, but you still have some adenosine sticking yes. to some receptors. And it's not mm -hmm. only sleep; the sleep comes in and clears it all out. Yeah, so that's where you're going to get rid of the adenosine. The coffee's not getting rid of it; it's just binding. So like this is where there's interesting studies actually on like. A, what do they call it? A caffeine nap, a coffee nap, or something like that, where you have a coffee mm -hmm. or you have caffeine, and then you immediately have a nap quickly enough that the caffeine hasn't hasn't sort of affected um, you know your like your ability to get to sleep yet, basically. Um, but essentially, what's happening is when you're doing the nap, like the caffeine is effectively binding to like the the nap is clearing out the adenosine, and then the caffeine is binding to those empty adenosine receptors. So mm. that seems to actually be more effective at increasing energy than a nap or a coffee alone. So you can, you can hack this stuff and actually use it to your advantage. Um, even I think they looked at like performance. I believe there was a study on performance with like athletes and stuff, and they noticed improved benefits with that as well. 
So yeah, if you're not, well, that's, why not that's why I'm not necessarily saying it's like you know that's yeah. like a negative because obviously that's how caffeine works. Yeah. Like I'm saying like that's that, and that was for the benefits with the ADHD was the effect on adenosine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and, and like so I'm saying of course I understand that that's a benefit and it's actually one of the major benefits. Uh, it, it sort of drags out the sleep wake cycle. Is that a bad thing? No, because it's just going to help with energy. I'm saying that's a, that there's a benefit there, but. Um, maybe for some people, if it drags out the sleep-wake cycle, could that, you know, uh, could that have some impact on their circadian rhythm? Okay, like, I, I'm not sure. I, like, I, you know, maybe for some people that might be a bit more of a negative. Um, you know, I could argue that I, I would generally say, like, you know, green tea is probably going to be a little bit better around if someone has really disrupted circadian rhythms because it's got L-theanine and obviously that's going to help with, like, GABA receptors, um, you know, so my argument would be and you're still getting caffeine in that uh, i think like you know like a gunpowder green which is a little bit more potent i think it's like you know 30 to 50 milligrams of like caffeine in there um but then you're getting l-theanine so that's probably going to be a little bit better around the sleep but you could even take l-theanine with your coffee if you wanted yeah I, I mean, once again okay like all the things that i'm bringing up you could sort of like hack it like, and, and and that's probably the big point okay i'll like I've got a lot of my clients that drink coffee. I'm not, I'm not against it, but most of the time we sort of like, we're gonna have like mycotoxin-free coffee. Uh, I might get them to have a little bit of quercetin with their coffee. I might get them, obviously, if you wanna slow the release of the caffeine in the bloodstream, obviously you can do something like a bulletproof. You might include, you know, some like macadamia oil. Like I love macadamia oil because it's got- Have you seen any literature on that? I tried to find, uh, it's, I couldn't it's, find it's, any. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find, it's hard to find, um, so. You know, is it going to hurt? Probably it's not going to hurt. Yeah, that's where I land. It makes sense. Yeah. Is it going to hurt? But yeah. I can't say that I've seen support. Yeah. I mean, I've got, there, there's definitely literature around like quercetin, you yeah. know, like there's definitely like benefits around like the, you know, the metabolizer you're getting from the, from, from the coffee and uh, definitely around like, you know, extending the half-life and all that type of stuff. There's definitely literature around quercetin. And once again, like quercetin is in green tea. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's a pretty high source of green tea. But you know, um, I'm not taking away from like, even like, don't they say that even like, I, I don't know what the proportion is, but even like coffee doesn't have riboflavin, doesn't have B2. I, I'm not going to say it's the best source of B2, but there is other compounds in there. If it don't they even say it's like potassium, I don't know what the potassium concentration is. I want to imagine it's like that. Mm, high. I'm not sure. I mean, I do know that like more commonly I'm sure people are concerned about That's my the, point. the binding effect, right? Like I don't think many people are yeah. saying, hey, you should have coffee because it's got this that and you know these micronutrients yeah but yeah. often people will say well you know it reduces calcium it causes magnesium deficiency yes it has an effect on iron but that you could argue that's a positive you know depending on a person we just need to be conscious mm -hmm. that it has an effect on iron but even that little literature i think is really underwhelming like if you look at the effect on on caffeine uh on, yeah caffeine and calcium and it's based on the tannins yeah not, I don't think the that's the case. Yeah. That's with the iron. I don't think that's the case with the calcium and the yeah. magnesium. Um, that's actually mm -hmm. based on urinary excretion. So you're lost, like you're losing more things through the urine. But, but when, with the, the iron thing, when you say like a green tea is, is probably going to be more problematic around that because of the, you know, in the, terms of inhibiting the, the absorption, I believe coffee had a big yeah, effect like, in the studies. Oh, did it? Okay. I believe okay. so. Um, but yeah. they, they did, because they do recommend both tea and or coffee for things like chemochromatosis and iron overload. That's something I recommend to my mm -hmm. clients. Um, but again, it has to be with the meal and, you know, iron containing meal. Usually yeah, people yeah. are having that at night more often than not. So a lot of the time it's not going to be a big effect. But um, 
the, yeah, the effect on calcium and magnesium, if you actually look at the loss, it, it's a couple percent. It's like two to five percent. And you know, if you look at if you look at the fact that like yes, most people aren't consuming enough magnesium anyway, but it's like if you look at how much magnesium someone is consuming, is a couple percent loss a day the thing that's going to tip them over the edge? No, like realistically, people should be like doubling their magnesium intake and losing, you know, f- four milligrams or something a day from the coffee you're drinking. I can't see that having any significant impact at all. Uh, and you know, same deal with the calcium. So that to me just feels like, yeah. Like technically, it's true, but did the coffee has coffee ever made anyone magnesium deficient? Like, surely the impact would be lower than the impact of vitamin D. You know, oh, I mean, so okay. I, I mean, I don't even know if you'd find any studies on that. <laughs> so I haven't yeah. looked. Yeah, okay, but I- yeah, I mean, well, like there's just a one that I found. It was back in the 1990s or something where I looked at the the actual loss in the urine, but it was very minimal. Um, and then, you know, another common myth or common concern is around blood pressure. And yes, there's an acute increase in blood pressure, but in longitudinal studies, there's no increased risk for hypertension. Now, again, am I going to put someone who's hypertensive and tell them to have five cups of coffee a day? Probably not. But is it the thing that got them to that point? No. Well, also, like, like how much do they actually, do they actually check things like, you know, these genotype variants and the CYP1A2? And I mean, I mean are they checking yeah, that with not. those individuals? Like, uh, like I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, you would think that they would be covering that, but sometimes they might not. So, is that, not. is that why there might be, like, some aspects around, like, sort of, like, you know, cardiovascular and, you know. Well, I guess initially, like, obviously, it's going to act as a, a vaso um, constrictor initially. So, I guess yeah. that's... Yeah. That's sort of why, but you know, even that, like, that's why caffeine can have benefits around migraines because of the vasoconstriction. One thing I think we should touch on before we finish up, Dave, is on gut permeability, a leaky gut. So this is another accusation I see flying all over the place. Coffee's causing leaky gut. You can't have it if you have leaky gut. And while it's, I mean, we've talked about some of the benefits in the gut and around stuff like bifidobacterium, which is pretty significant. Um, and obviously gastric juices, which could help with SIBO and increasing, you know, bile secretion, which could help with SIBO. So, and, you know, the effect on IBS so as a whole, I'm seeing is, is definitely a benefit. But mm-hmm. the only thing I've really found specifically is in animal studies, and they found that it could actually have a benefit around the expression of tight junction proteins, which would actually be a good thing, right? That would be basically reducing permeability. So I've not found anything to suggest it's negative for permeability. It seems to me to be a myth. Well, I, I mean, like I'm with you on that. I don't even, you know, you know, some of the reasons that I might get someone to be a bit more cautious around, like, you know, um, the, the only time that I'm a little bit more cautious around coffee is actually to do with things like, the, you know, if I do think there's like, you know, significant dopamine issues, like I'm a little bit more cautious around that. And maybe like when I've got clients, even though it's hard to find the literature, when there's acetaldehyde, ethanol issues, all that type of stuff, I'm a little bit more cautious around yeah. coffee. Uh, that's the only time I'm a, lot more, a, a little bit more cautious. Okay? But is it really around like things like hyperpermeability? No, it's not really going to be the reasons that I'm going to get someone to maybe just maybe avoid it or just take a break from it. It's just not... It's not going to be around those reasons. Yeah, I thought I thought you would say that. I just wanted to check if you saw something I hadn't seen. No, um, I and- mean it's like, like like obviously there's way more significant compounds, and then like from my perspective, you know the compounds are in coffee. It's not it's not really going to happen. It's it's not one of the major causes of hyperpermeability. It's not it's not an exacerbator. Plus, it's you know reducing oxidative stress as well. There's even one study because again, another thing that people love to say is you can't have it if you've got PCOS. And I know you've mentioned some concerns over blood sugar, but I haven't seen human studies on this. Maybe they exist. I'm not sure. But in animal studies with PCOS, 
they found caffeine was actually beneficial because it is, uh, I can't remember if it was caffeine or coffee. It might have just been caffeine, but they were saying that it actually reduced, um, basically increased antioxidant activity and, and reduced inflammation. And then they concluded that it would actually reduce symptoms and, um, you know, underlying mechanisms of PCOS, things like interleukin-6, TNF-alpha. So even in, in cases like PCOS, I can't see why to be a concern. And yet that's another one where people, so often, I don't know if you see this, but on social media, people are happy to say, if you've got PCOS, don't touch coffee. If you've got, you know, any hormonal condition, don't touch coffee. If you've got leaky gut, don't touch coffee. If you've got, um, what else do they say? Obviously, you know, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue, don't touch coffee. And I just don't see the evidence for any of these claims. I mean, like I, once again, it might be. It, it, it's probably going to be an issue if someone does have that, you know, the CYP one A two one A two genotype. Yeah, possibly for them, that's going to be an issue. But how many people does that apply to? I mean, obviously, I can't give the percentages. Mm. Yeah, but for them, it, that might be a little bit more problematic. But also, maybe there's some things you can do around that potentially. Mm. Maybe mm. look into the coercion aspect. So, any concluding remarks? Any closing points to your case against coffee? <laughs> <laughs> to well, be honest, I think again, you got up more positives than I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said, like, you know, do I drink coffee? I drink coffee. Do I drink it all the time? No. Obviously, that's sort of like I do tend to find, like, I probably function better having it now and then. Do my co- clients have coffee? They have coffee. Do I tend to sort of, like, you know, get them to hack their way through it in terms of, like, biohack their way through it? Yes, I get them to take things like quercetin. Maybe it's a bit, like... How much benefit are you getting from, like, you know, uh, Bulletproof? That's not going to hurt. There was one study on Bulletproof. I forgot to mention that, but it was mostly just finding a benefit on satiety. I don't think they yeah, okay. there was much other. But always I'm recommending mycotoxin-free. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there, there, there potentially might be some issues around that. How much does the roasting process and the heating process help? Oh, and also, like, you brought up a good point. Okay, a lot of the companies now... Uh, they, they're going through the right process to make sure there's not a lot of mycotoxins in there and they're not exceeding the MRL limits. Yeah, I think like if, you, if, you, if you're putting all those things into place and you enjoy coffee, you, you, you do notice that you're getting some benefits. Um, maybe if like, you know, like if caffeine's a bit of an issue, maybe you can take into consideration what I said. Maybe get a good quality decaffeinated. You're not going to get all the benefits, but you're definitely going to get some of the benefits that I talked about with the diterpenes and all that type of stuff. Which you yeah. want to do the Swiss water method if you do that yeah swiss what they call it swiss water press method or whatever that might be it's a particular method that you've got to use to make sure it's it's gone through the right process so i feel like um do you you ever watch like Mythbusters? i feel like you know is caffeine bad for you is coffee bad for the gut like myth busted i feel like there's there's not a, a huge number of concerns and it's pretty easy to mitigate a lot of these and yes for some individuals maybe you need to be a little bit more cautious and Obviously, if you've got existing conditions, gastritis, you've got hypertension, whatever, maybe you'd be a bit, bit more careful. But as a whole, broadly speaking, just generally speaking, which, you know, obviously people take that out of context, but if we're just being very general here, coffee generally is not going to have negative health outcomes. Well, most of the research is pretty positive. Yeah. That's okay. the end of the coffee debate. I mean, well, I, was, I, was, I was pretty neutral anyway. So. <laughs> you were very neutral. They got pretty here today, but I don't know. Are we like, is that it for the podcast? Maybe, I don't know if we can do this again. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something about coffee. Go, maybe you're drinking your coffee while you're listening. Hopefully you were. Um, but yeah, go enjoy your coffee. And if you are one of those people who don't respond, doesn't respond well with it, that's okay too. You know, we're not saying you need to drink coffee. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening, guys. 
As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.